Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hochberg, and this is episode number 310. This week's episode is dedicated to you. Yes, you listening right now, because we're only answering your cruise questions. Well, maybe not just your questions, questions that everybody who listens to this podcast have sent in. We're going to try to answer as many questions as we can on this week's episode of the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast. Here we go. The other day I was answering emails and I noticed that the Royal Caribbean Blog podcast inbox was getting a little full. So I wanted to dedicate this week's episode to answering your cruise questions. You can always send me emails to matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com. Matt, M-A-T-T, at royalcaribbeanblog.com. My first email this week is from Rob Chang. Who writes, hey Matt, it's been a long hiatus, but I'm back to cruising. After our last cruise in 2016, my wife said we needed to purge ourselves of, from cruising vacations for a bit and do some land vacations instead. Hang on, Rob. I'm going to stop you right there. You don't need that kind of negativity in your life. Okay, just kidding. Here we go. Let's continue with Rob's email. However, much as much as I hated the idea, I live by the philosophy, happy wife, happy life. The last couple of years, we did a great land tour through Europe and a fun road trip through the Northwest, which included a tour of a few presidential libraries. All fun and memorable moments, but at the end of the day, I miss cruising. My wife said she would only do a cruise if we went somewhere we hadn't gone before, so I suggested Alaska. Not only, uh, but when I found out that Ovation of the Sea was coming from Australia, I put my foot down and demanded we go. Okay, she got excited too. Well, all that said, I have one question. I booked two connecting inside rooms with virtual balconies. The question I have is whether I can purchase just one unlimited photo package for both rooms. One room has me and my 13-year-old, and the other has my wife and 9-year-old. If we'd gotten just one balcony, then this question would have been moot. But since we split up uh, t- to get more space, taking your advice, we're faced with the dilemma. Have you ever faced this? And do you have any advice on how to get around this? Love your episodes on the Alaska trip. Really helped a lot. Blessings to you and your family. Long live Royal Caribbean blog. Rob, thanks for the email, dude. I'm glad to hear you're back on back on the wagon. Yeah, fell off the wagon. I'm not sure how that metaphor works. But I am glad you're listening to the podcast. And more importantly, you're cruising again, dude. So to answer your question, my understanding of the photo package is, is whomever buys it, so let's say you buy it, Rob, and it's, you're going to put it under your name. As long as you're in the photo, I think it counts. I think that goes toward the allotment. I don't think that'll be an issue for you uh, in terms of getting the photos, um, you know, obviously for your family photos uh, w- with people technically in another room because you're in the photo. I think you're good to go there, Rob. You can double check this on board the ship, but that's my understanding of it. Next, we have an email from Charlotte Kennedy writes, with the Port of Galveston and Royal Caribbean signing an agreement to build a new cruise terminal in Galveston, what do you think the chances of getting an Oasis-class ship in Galveston is? We have flown uh, to Fort Lauderdale and Miami for the Allure and the Symphony. We would love to do an Oasis-class in Galveston since it's only about an hour's drive from our home in Houston. Thanks for all the great work you do. I love your informative podcast every week. Charlotte, thanks for the email. So, Charlotte, you are touching on a uh, ripe rumor, my dear. Uh, so... As Charlotte is absolutely correct, Royal Caribbean did announce, I think late last year, that they're building a new cruise terminal in Galveston. Now, the rumor has been around for quite a while now, um, at least a couple months, not a year, that an Oasis-class ship is coming to Galveston. Uh, It's it's one of those rumors, Charlotte, where Royal Caribbean is all but confirmed the rumor at this point. There's been a lot of strong hinting, a lot of winking, nudging, and, and so forth. My sense of it, based on what I've heard, Charlotte, is that when Royal Caribbean releases 2021 sailings, specifically probably winter, uh, which will be coming out the next round, probably the end of this year, that's when I would expect them to announce that an Oasis class ship will be going to Galveston. Usually when a cruise line agrees to build a new terminal in a given port, there's usually a little bit of give and take, right? Like the, the cruise line builds a terminal 
and in or the or the town pays for the lot of the terminal but in exchange the cruise line promises bigger and 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 uh better ships there, so to speak. Um, it's not confirmed, at least not of the recording of this podcast, but Charlotte, I would be shocked if it's not the case because again, there's been a ton of just winking and nodding and there's been a lot of rumors. I mean, it's, it's Royal Caribbean, even Royal Caribbean's uh, uh, management has kind of really strongly hinted at it. So I think it's going to happen. And I just think we're, we need to wait for the next round of deployment. But again, that's a rumor. So take it for what you will. Next, we have an email from Tate who write, uh, wrote to me, my wife and I will be giving a, were given a free cruise by a friend who couldn't cancel. Uh, we're going on Mariner of the Seas, the balcony cabin on deck six. I've been listening to your podcast and watching your YouTube channel. And I have a couple of begin questions. Uh, one, we have a power ship that has three USBs and three railer prong plugs. I remember hearing you say that we cannot bring this type of setup on the ship, but my wife and I have both CPAP machines. What? Celso? C-E-L-S-O? Sleep at night. Plus, I'm not sure what, uh, well, it helps us probably sleep at night, probably not autocorrect there. Uh, plus our iPhones, iPads, etc. Do you have a Grammy Nation or what to carry on board so that I could, uh, they could probably buy on Amazon? Good question. So let's start there, Tate. Um, your CPAP machine is fine. Those are totally okay. There's actually a special needs form you should fill out for the CPAP machine. It provides the distilled water you're gonna need and all the hookups and everything like that. It's pretty straightforward. Uh, that, that's number one. Number two, if you wanna bring other devices and have them charged simultaneously, which by the way is a great idea, what you should bring instead of the device you have is a straight or dedicated USB hub. Uh, Anchor makes a number of these, A-N-K-E-R. There's a number of companies that make these kind of things. Basically, there's no electric plugs, it's just USB. I brought them on the ship time and time again. Works great, we'll do exactly what you need. You just, the issue is Royal Caribbean bands, surge protectors, and they and they used to be okay with like the kind of devices you described there, but these days they've been cracking down a lot on anything resembling a, a surge protector or an electrical strip or anything like that. I think in, in their eyes, it's too hard to discern, you know, uh, product A versus product B and which one's a fire hazard or not. So they just ban them all and it makes it simpler that way. But if you bring a USB hub, you're good to go. Tate's next question is, my wife and I are having a disagreement. I'd like to buy a couple of the special dining packages, shop steakhouse, maybe Jamie's. She thinks we try the main diner before we commit. She said the food there will probably just be as good thoughts. I think that you're both right. I think the main dining room is great. I enjoy the main dining room. I, I really do. And I know that we get a lot, we give a lot of attention, especially dining, because it, it garners a lot more attention. But main dining room has been there. Special dining is kind of a newer breed, and there's a lot more attention that's that's given to it. I've always said that on any cruise you go on, you know, it's not a bad idea to do one or two nights of dining, especially dining, but the main dining room or the wind jammer or wherever you want to go can still be the crux or the basis of where you dine. So I would actually agree with your wife here. Uh, the dining packages are good because it'll save you money. But if you're kind of new to this, as you as you as you say, you might say, okay, go with the go with the uh, main dining room as as your basis, and then after a couple nights, maybe book a specialty restaurant. Also, a little pro tip is maybe see if there's a discount available. Uh, you know, one of the advantages of booking it on board is sometimes they offer promos or deals. I've seen free bottles of wine or champagne. I've certainly seen straight discounts offered on it. You never know. The The way to figure this out, the, the way to increase your odds of getting a discount is when you're walking around the ship, minding your own business, whether it's on the Royal Promenade or in a in the Windjammer, you know, or anywhere, and you see a waiter walking around with a menu trying to show and, and get reservations for restaurants, that is the time you should say, hey, I would love to dine at whatever restaurant that person's from. 
Uh, is there any kind of deal or special you can offer us? You never know what can happen. I've had pretty good luck with that strategy. And today's last question is, would you mind giving a little description of the Solarium area on uh, Mariner of the Seas? Does it have those big, big king-size type chairs? Is it quieter than the main pool? Since our son is not coming with us, we're kind of making this an anniversary honeymoon, so to speak. Thanks for all the answers. You've been very helpful and thorough and thoroughly enjoyed listening to the podcast. Um, so, great questions, uh, and thank you for listening, as always. The solarium area is an adults-only area. There's a number of different seating available. By the pool, you've got your typical loungers. I would say beach loungers, but they're pool loungers. And they're very comfortable chairs. And then as you kind of get away from the pool, you have... Uh, actually, they've added these like casita type things that are like, it's not, I don't want to call it a cabana, but it's basically a beach bed that they've set up over there. Those are very hard to get to. They also have some larger seat, uh, seating, some like, almost think of them as like uh, wicker chair type seating. It, it kind of does vary a little bit, but there is a fair amount of it. And I think that when you walk through, you'll find that there's quite a variety. What I like about it, the solarium, is you have, especially on Mariner, is there are seating that's right in the, uh, that has right in the sunlight. So you, if you want to, enjoy some direct sun you got it but there's also plenty of seating in the shade as well as just like any seat in the pool deck if you are going like especially on a sea day and you want to get a seat there i do advise you getting there earlier uh than later uh certainly you should be up in the pool deck and in a chair by 9 or 10 a.m if you want to have a decent shot at getting something if you get in later you may have to start picking from the the scraps that are left over and it can get a little more difficult it depends on the weather depends on the crowd a couple other factors but it's a great time. Uh, solarium is really, really nice. And what, what I love about the Solarium is that it's very relaxing. You know, the main pool, I don't even care about the kids. That's not even the issue for me. The main pool has music. It could have movies playing. Whereas the Solarium, you don't have a lot of music. You don't have any movies. So the noise factor is less. And I don't think that's really the kids that are the issue. I think the adults are more the issue, if you ask me. But yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great time. I think you'll hear that quite a bit. Next, we have an email from Andrew Ritz, was just listening to episode 303 while on board Celebrity Alaska itinerary. Uh, and one of your listeners asked about cruises out of Seattle that were not to Alaska. I've done the southbound Pacific Coast cruise that went to Astoria, Oregon, San Francisco overnight, and Victoria. It was great and far exceeded my wife's expectations, who generally prefers Caribbean itineraries. I figure I'd share as a great option, which is not super common. Andrew, thank you for the email, dude. That's a great suggestion, and you're right, they do tend to do those kind of sailings on Royal Caribbean at the beginning or end of the Alaska cruise season. So when the ship gets there to Seattle, they usually have like one or two sailings right at the very beginning of the Alaska cruise season, and then one at the very end sometimes to kind of mix it up and get the ship on schedule, so to speak. Next email is from uh, Chris, who writes, Hi Matt, thanks so much for responding to my questions a while back on the podcast. Glad to say that we're officially booked on a seven-night Western Caribbean cruise out of Galveston on Liberty of the Seas. My girlfriend doesn't believe me when I tell her not to worry about having as many appetizers and entrees as she likes while at the main dining room. Can you please tell her that it's perfectly fine and they won't hate her or kick her out for doing it? Hope to join you on a group cruise one of these years. Thanks. Chris, thanks for the email. And Chris's girlfriend, you do not have to worry. Your, your boyfriend is not making a scene. He is not that guy. Uh, not only is ordering multiple entrees and multiple appetizers uh, acceptable, it's encouraged. I mean, that's part of the nature of it. I mean, the reality is, when it comes to the main dining room, the 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 entree port, the portion sizes, whether it's entree and appetizer, are quite small, or at least smaller than you might get at a regular restaurant on land. So it's not to say that you're gonna get the same amount of food, you may still be hungry. Second of all, they're preparing these foods for everybody, and there's always extras. And I will tell you that if you even hint at the possibility of trying another dish, the waiter will probably bring you seven of them. <laughs> I'm exaggerating a little bit, but they love 
to have you try the food, bring it out to you. It, 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 you're really not making them work extra. They're, they're making them happier, quite frankly. They want you to enjoy your time. And if you're going to enjoy your time with an extra appetizer or four or three or three entrees or everything off the menu, which I've done before as well, hey, nothing wrong with that. I think uh, you're doing the right thing. So no, you're not You're not being weird. You're not making the waiter feel awkward. It's, it's totally, totally okay. Next email is from Matthew, a.k.a. Vegas Fella on the Royal Queen blog message boards. Greetings, I'm somewhat new to your blog, three weeks to be exact. I'm really enjoying the message boards. I have not been on any cruise of any kind before, but I have to say that your podcast and message boards are awesome. On episode 259, you spoke of a few things regarding etiquette. May I add a couple of my own? When it comes to onboard elevator, let people off first. No, I'm not yelling, just an item that people seem to forget in general. I may, I've participated in the message boards and love seeing the responses to my questions. Plus, I'm even responding to some of their questions as best I can without being too nosy as I am new to cruising. Matt, your podcasts are awesome. I've listened to 15 of them so far. Great stuff. Uh, I do live in, in Las Vegas, and my name is Matthew, so I can relate in some ways to the resort-style atmosphere that may exist aboard a cruise ship. I would not have found your blog if not had been for my wandering through Bing and Google as I saw a story on the Oasis-class ships. Now, I'm especially eager to cruise only with, uh, with only dough as my obstacle. As additional question, please, it sounds like Chops is a popular dining choice. And I've heard from others, and also you, if memory serves me correctly, that you'll have to reserve it as soon as you're physically to board the ship. Is that true? Is there a situation, say for a seven-night cruise, that a person will not be able to dine at Chops on account of forgetting to book it? Also, I'm trying to remember uh, to they, that they do lunch as well. Matthew, you are half right, sir, half right. Thanks for the email, by the way. Um, when I say that you have to book a restaurant like Chops as soon as you get on board, I'm talking about people who have a dining package. Dining packages are a option to save money on your on your specialty dining. So you basically pre-purchase a, a certain amount of specialty restaurants for your cruise. You know, two, three, five nights, uh, or even the entire duration of the sailing for, for that. But the trade-off is, you while you save money, you can't make a reservation until you get on board the ship. So what I tell people is if you have a dining package, book it as soon as you get on board the ship to get yourself a time. Now, if you don't have a dining package, Matthew, and you're on the ship and you decide on night four, you know what? I want to try that chop grill. Maybe it's worth giving it a try. There's no problem. Most especially restaurants really don't sell out. Uh, really, the exception is if you're looking to do it on either a holiday or a formal night, a lot of restaurants do get a little busier than others. Uh, certainly, Chops Grill will probably be one of them. But again, it's not to say that the experience you're going to have is going to be that, oh, it's going to be all sold out if you don't book it on night one. Far from that. I think you'll find, as long as you're a little flexible, I think even if you wait till later on in the cruise and decide, you know what, a a, a um, especially restaurant reservation is right for you, I think you'll have no problems whatsoever. So thank you, Matthew, for the email. And uh, I'm glad you're here and you're enjoying the podcast and the message board. Next up is an email from Bob Boyle of Chesapeake, Virginia. My daughter and I just got back from a three-night cruise on Navigator this season that included a stop at Perfect Day at Coco Key. Everything you talked about in your recent podcast review was true. This place has it all and was easily the highlight of the cruise for me. There was so much to do and so much space for all the guests from both cruise ships that visited the island that day. One thing you forgot to mention during your podcast review was the underwater music that plays in the Oasis Lagoon. It was really an awesome moment for my daughter when she discovered that the music that was playing underwater was different from the music the DJ was playing at the swim-up bar. Also, I wanted to thank you for the awesome tip to ask for the secret sandwich at the Snack Shack location on the island. 
I felt like I was the ultimate Royal Caribbean insider when I ordered something that wasn't even on the menu. However, next time I will probably ask them to hold the lettuce, mayo, and pickles that came on the crispy chicken sandwich and just ask for the mozzarella sticks and marinara as toppings. Bob, thanks for the email and I'm so glad that it that it worked out for you with that secret sandwich. You know, as much as I, I talk about the secret sandwich, by the way, at the Snack Shack, at Perfect Day Coco Key, you can ask for the secret sandwich, which essentially is the chicken sandwich with mozzarella sticks and marinara on top. Um, but I, I certainly prefer the crispy chicken sandwich that has the the pickles, the, the marinara sauce and the and the mozzarella sticks I think are fine on the side. You can just eat that as a appetizer if you will. But uh, I think the traditional crispy chicken sandwich is the way to go. And you're totally right for the underwater music. In fact, I think the last time I was there, I neglected to actually go underwater to check it. So I gotta, in the name of research, I need to book another cruise over there. That's what I'll tell my wife anyway. Next, we have an email from Chris, who writes, I'm a huge fan of your blog. I was thinking about proposing to my girlfriend on our cruise coming up. We're going on Adventure of the Seas and our stops are Kings Wharf, NASA, and Coco Key. I wanna know if you had any good tips or where to make the perfect proposal spot. Ooh, Chris, I'm gonna give you a great idea in Bermuda there is a spot in the King, King's Wharf is where you dock, right? And if you walk off the ship, as I recall, I believe it's to the left, there is this structure which looks like the thing out of Stargate. Do you remember that movie? I'm not sure you're old you're you're old enough to remember that movie with uh, Kurt Russell. Send my regards to King Tut. Bam, then he blows up the Anyway, uh spoiler alert there. Um <laughs> It's a great movie, but there's this thing, this little gate. It's called something. It's not called the Stargate. There are not ancient Egyptians that come through it, but it looks cool. It's a great proposal spot. That'd be number one. If you're going to go, how about Coco Key? Uh, I would go on. There's a nature walk trail. I'm sure you can find a spot that strikes you at the moment, and you could do that there. But I think the one in Bermuda might be a really nice one to do there. Plus, Bermuda is always a great spot to go back to to relive your memories. Not that Perfect Day is not as well. So I think you can't go wrong. Let us know how it goes. Good luck, sir. Next, an email from Daniel Ritz. Uh, first, I want to start off by saying that I love your podcast and all the live shows you do. I recently got connected with your site and love all the info you give me. I'm booked on Oasis of the Seas for January 2020 with my family of five, and we have three children. This will be our second cruise to the Royal Caribbean. I was wondering, in January, is there a good amount of kids on the ship? I know there's no really way to tell, but by your experience, what would you say? I just hope that there, I hope that there is so my kids can have other kids to interact with at the clubs. One more question is, what would you recommend doing in St. Martin that is kid-friendly? I have two teens and an eight-year-old. Daniel, thanks for the email, dude. Uh, so, in terms of uh, kids on January, January depends on when you go, but generally speaking, January is kind of a slower month. I mean, kids are back in school, and the easy way to figure out if you're gonna have more or less kids on your cruise is to look at a school calendar, especially here in the US, and if the kids are in school, you probably have less kids on your cruise. But that's, that being said, Daniel, it's not to say you're, your kids are the only ones on the ship. Far from it. You'll just, it, it just, it's just like a slider almost. You will have children on there, not to worry. The kids club will have kids there as well. I, I am continuously shocked, and, and as someone who does this myself, by how few uh, uh, or how many people take their kids out of school for random cruises. And I'm always like, really? You know, I mean, I'm the one who does that all the time, but it's like, you know, I'm, I'm not normal. We, we've firmly established that here. So when other people do it, I'm like, wow, okay. So yeah, never underestimate other parents taking their kids out of school. You'll have no problems there. But again, January will be slower than, there'll be less kids on board than if you did a cruise over spring break or the summer, as an example. So just keep that in mind. And your other question is, does something to do that is kid-friendly in St. Martin? You know, St. Martin is a tough one to pick. I mean, look, there's, at the end of the day, you go to the beach. There's absolutely nothing wrong with going to the beach. Grand Case Beach is a great spot there. There used to be a really great kid-friendly beach 
uh, on the, just over the border on the front side, but the hurricanes that went through, went through there in 2017 really destroyed that, that particular beach, and so I don't recommend it anymore. Uh, but uh, Grand Case Beach is always a good idea. Can't go wrong with that. Um, otherwise, I'm going to downtown Phillipsburg and do some shopping. Phillipsburg is the capital of the Dutch side. It's a short walk from the cruise ship where you can take a taxi. So, you know, you could do something like that. But there's, you know, it really depends what you're looking to do, Daniel. There's also some all-inclusive resorts you can do through like a website like resortforaday.com. So you got some choices there. Allison has our next email and writes, uh, I love your podcast. You were super informative. I went on my first Royal Caribbean cruise last year. And although I knew my boyfriend, uh, and although I knew through my boyfriend that there were formal nights, I didn't have any white clothes to participate in the fun white dance party that took place late at night. And then I saw there was an 80s dance party on another night. How do I find out what type of themes will be on a Royal Caribbean cruise I'm taking on this November? Allison, thanks for the email. So the... The answer is there is no way to know, but Allison, there is a way to pretty much handicap it and figure out exactly, have a really good idea of what to expect, and that is looking at past cruise companies. You know why, Allison? They really don't change the, I, the the theme nights from sailing to sailing, especially if you're on the same itinerary, right? You're going on a four-nighter to the Bahamas. They're not reinventing the wheel for your sailing. And we have an archive of past cruise compasses at royalcaribbeanblog.com, and I'm pretty certain, Allison, that if you look at one in the last six months, for your particular sailing and ship that you will find once you get on board the ship that it's going to be the exact same theme nights and, and probably in the same exact order. So hopefully that will answer your question there. And thank you for the email. Our next email comes to us from Ken who writes, love the podcast. I've been listening since I became a cruise addict on our first cruise back on Jewel of the Season 2014. Your podcast and blog are invaluable to anyone who wants to know anything or everything about Royal Caribbean. I'm glad to know there are other people in the world who are cruise crazy like me. My family is cruising on Oasis of the Seas in February 2021, and we're so excited about the Amplified Editions coming to Oasis this fall. My question is about this. With the editions of Playmakers, Karaoke, Sugar Beach, The Barbecue Joint, Escape Room, and The Music Hall, my favorite hangout on Anthem of the Seas, what venues, if any, are being removed from the ship? Secondly, we've booked a boardwalk balcony, so we received two complimentary soda packages in our room. If I want to order the deluxe beverage packages, my wife need to order it as well, or she covered by one of the soda packages. We will have our two children in the room with us as well. And finally, I read that the perfect day experience is expected to be applied to other private destinations in the future. Is there any talk about Labadee receiving the same experience? Thanks again for all your hard work on the podcast and blog. I look forward to your podcast every week. Ken, thanks for the email, dude. So let's answer your questions. So with the additions of all those uh, amplified upgrades coming to a waste of the seas, yes, they're going to replace venues. They can't, I mean, they have to by virtue of it, right? So, you know, Playmakers is going to likely, we, we don't know this definitively, by the way. Everything I'm about to say is based on probably a smart, educated guess. Uh, the reason why I say that is, as of the recording of this podcast, there are no deck plans yet for Oasis post dry dock. So I can't necessarily definitively tell you exactly where it's gonna be, but I can make educated guess. As an example, Playmakers will almost certainly take the place of Sabor on the boardwalk. The karaoke will almost certainly take the place of the on-air club uh, on the Royal Promenade. Sugar Beach will almost certainly take the place of whatever's across next to Johnny Rockets in the, on the boardwalk, right? The barbecue joint, I forget where in the pool deck it's gonna be, so we're gonna play something else, right? Uh, the escape room on Oasis class is the chapel, I think. If there's still a chapel on Oasis, that'd be that one. Music Hall, I'm pretty sure is Dazzles is gonna replace that one. So you can pretty much, if you look at Harmony or Symphony of the Seas, especially Symphony of the Seas, Ken, you can pretty much figure out where each is gonna go. Your second question was about the complimentary soda package, and no, it doesn't count towards your drink package. If you want to buy the 
uh, unlimited alcohol package, the deluxe beverage package. When you buy that, the same rule still apply. The fact you have a complimentary soda package is irrelevant, doesn't count towards that at all. So if your wife isn't a drinker, you should call Royal Caribbean Can, explain that to them, they'll let her buy the Royal Refreshment Package instead. And lastly, yes, the Perfect Day Experience is coming to Labadee as well. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about that. When Royal Caribbean first announced the Perfect Day Island Collection, which is what it's calling its makeovers, upgrades, whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it, to its private islands, they said that Coco Key would be its first one, and there would be some other ones, and then Labadee would get it as well. When I was there and in Coco Key back in May, I was speaking to somebody from Royal Caribbean, and they told me, they indicated that before Labadee was going to get it, but it was going to be further down the line, but I think they see now how well the upgrades at Coco Key are being received, that Labadee is next in line for it, or it's going to be moved up at least it's going to happen a lot sooner than maybe it was previously expected to do so. Because again, Royal Caribbean is seeing that it's just, it's, it's been a, a, a giant home run for the cruise line. Next, we have an email from Kevin M who sends me a ton of questions. I love it, Kevin. Back in February, my wife and I decided to book a cruise for our five-year wedding anniversary in December. After taking it all, after talking it over one night, I called the Royal Caribbean the next day and inquired about an ocean view balcony room and junior suites. Long story short, Iolo booked a crown loft suite on Allure, leaving Port Everglades uh, December for a seven-night sailing. The Royal Caribbean salesperson did a great job explaining the room differences and utilized YouTube very effectively by directing me to each room type. And when I saw a crown loft, I was immediately intrigued. Uh, and her sales tactic caught me hook, line, and sinker, so I told her so. Am I crazy for booking a crown loft in my very first cruise? My wife uh, has cruised once before when she was 12. We're now 31 and 29. I should mention my wife does not suffer from claustrophobia, or does suffer from claustrophobia in some circumstances, so a balcony room at a minimum was required. I don't think you're crazy for doing so. I mean, you've set a very high bar for other future cruises, and financially speaking, it may not be a great idea, but from, I mean, no, it's you're, you're far from the first person, uh, Kevin, to ever book a... Uh, a suite as their first cruise, and you're far, you're very far from the first person to say, you know what, we're only going to do suites, and whatever the reason is, there's a lot of different rationales for going suite only. I don't think you're making a mistake there. So, uh, my parents have, Kevin's email continues here, my parents have been on alert twice and have taken various other Royal Caribbean cruises retiring in 2017. They've never booked anything above an ocean view and have it, and been adamant that that is all you truly need. I get to tell them I booked the crown loft to avoid the you're wasting your money and that is not necessary to have a conversation with them. Any advice how I can break them? Typical millennial, I guess. You know what? I, this It's like flying first class in an airplane. Do you need to fly first class? Would it get you to the same place that people can coach to? Absolutely. Is it nicer and more enjoyable? Absolutely. You're treating yourself. You have to tell your parents, Kevin, about the whole treat yourself mentality. And also as someone who regularly books things that my wife rolls her eyes at and says, we don't need to do that. And I tell her we don't need to, but I'd like to. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, Kevin writes, after booking, I came across your Royal Caribbean blog webpage and become obsessive follower of both the webpage and the podcast. I can't seem to get enough information from you and other members of the blog. I have listened to every podcast episode for 2019 and have gone back into 2018 episodes as well. Thanks for the fantastic content. Keep up the great work. As a newbie to the Royal Caribbean blog community, and really cruising in general, your content has been instrumental in my growth on the ins and outs of cruising with Royal Caribbean. All right, so here's, sorry for the lengthy message and for the summary of my questions are below. Number one, am I crazy for booking the loft suite for my very first cruise? No. Will this ruin my cruising experience in the future by downgrading, quote unquote, to Ocean View Balcony or Junior Suites? No, I think you'll enjoy quite as much. Just not the same thing, but you'll, you'll certainly have a great time. 
Number three, we have booked a hibachi at Izumi. Would booking a three-night dining package be worth it? Is hibachi included in the dining package? Hibachi is not included in the dining package, so you can still do that three-nighter and then keep the hibachi because the hibachi doesn't include any dining package. So that'd be essentially be a four-night, you know, plan. Nothing wrong with that. I think it's a great idea. I've, I've done that as well. Number four, we took advantage of the Memorial Day sale and booked a 50% off the drink package. With the Crown Loft Suite, I believe there's complimentary beverages each night for a few hours. Is the drink package overkill? It depends on how you drink, Kevin, honestly. Like, the, the drinks that are included in the concierge genre are only in the evening, and they're a fairly limited menu. It's like basic drinks, you know, rum and coke, tequila sunrise, um, you know, gin and tonic, uh, a couple of beers. Like, you're not going to get a daiquiri. You're not going to get a lava flow. You're not going to get um, some exo more exotic liquors that are there. So if you're particular, if you're picky about your liquor or you prefer what I call girly drinks, cocktails, you're going to be a little more limited there. So the drink package isn't a bad idea. Not to mention, again, the sweet drinks are only in the evening. If you're a big drinker and you enjoy drinking in the pool deck or other places, that may not be worth it to you because you're the only place you can get these three drinks in the concierge lounge in the evening. So uh, Kevin, it really depends on how you go with it. I mean, certainly you would not be making a mistake by saying, Matt, I'm going to you know, forego the drink package, rely purely on my free drinks at night and make out like a bandit there financially. And I, I would tell you, you're absolutely right, dude. Uh, it really depends on how you drink. Uh, Kevin says, the sweet sun deck have a pool. I've seen there's a reserved area in the Solarium for sweet guests. Is the same as a sweet sun deck. Uh, no, there's no pool. I think on some ships they have a hot tub, but Symphony has a... I don't remember. I don't know if Holler does. I can't honestly give you a solid. I don't know on that one. Any chance you could read this on the podcast? That would be awesome. I think I can manage that. I think I can manage that. <laughs> Great email, dude. All right, let's move on to our next email. It is from Daniel Sober of Harriman, Utah. I just listened to episode 304 and like to respond to two separate unrelated issues from that episode. First, I like to challenge you to call Hilton and get a quote for booking room for you and your wife. After they give you the price, tell them that your wife changed your mind. So you'd like to pay for only half that room rate for you to occupy the hotel room alone. Of course, after they finish laughing, they'll tell you no. Hotel rooms are hotel rooms and the price per room is the price per room. Ca uh, cruise ship cabins are the same way. The price of the cabin is the price of the cabin. There's your answer for Derek's challenge about single supplements, very simple. I think you're disagreeing with what I was saying. All I can tell you, Daniel, is the cruise industry is built on double occupancy pricing. And I would tell you that there are some hotels that have single rates and they have double rates. Uh, you, I, I can't give you specific examples. I, it'll vary from city to city, but you can absolutely, when you put in there, there are single rates for hotel rooms on land and there are double rate hotel rooms for land. And that may or something, it depends on the hotel. I'm not going to deny that. I'm not saying it's a, it's a straight thing. It, it's exactly the same with land hotels, but cruising is not the only place in the whole wide world where the idea of uh, double occupancy is a thing, but to each their own. And Dan's other point was, for the person who asked about debarking one port early, I think there's one more consideration. Aside from notifying Royal Caribbean, it's very important to notify the local authorities upon debarkation. Having traveled on land vacations to Mexico, I know that when I passed through customs upon arrival at the airport, they gave me a tourist card that I must retain and then surrender when I board my flight home. If I lose the tourist card, it's going to be a hassle. Cruise passengers, on the other hand, are just day visitors and don't get a tourist card. I imagine that your cousin who left the ship in Cozumel had some red tape to deal with when he tried to leave Mexico. That is correct. Daniel is 100% right about that. Unless you notify the authorities upon arrival in Cozumel and got a tourist card. Similarly, every time I go to Europe, the immigration agents thumb through my passport to find the entry stamp before they'll stamp my exit one. If the people who wrote the email don't tell the French authorities in order to get an EU entry stamp, Inspector Clouseau may have a few questions before he gets to leave. Daniel, you're absolutely right. And, and that's why you should go through... That's why I was saying... 
that you, I think I said this, you should still go through the proper channels, don't just disappear off the ship. It's not the right thing to do. And I, I think Daniel's point is correct. That while you may be able to exit the ship or not come back to the ship and just disappear into the ether of, of the country you're visiting, when you want to exit that same country later on, they're going to ask you. And yes, that could cause a huge problem. So follow the procedure for it. There is one that Royal Caribbean provides. And I think that makes sense. So Daniel, thank you for the email. And our last email this week comes to us from... Somebody didn't put their email, their name in here. Oh my gosh. Well, it must be Billy Hirsch from cruisehabit.com. And Billy writes, warning, longer email awaits, but I hope you read it on the podcast. I've been on three cruises with the Royal Caribbean and love everything about it. My husband, Joe, not so much, but I'm working on him. There is something wonderful about stepping on board, not having to pay for another thing. Our first cruise that we took together was in the fall of 2017, right after Hurricane Irma. We needed that vacation more than ever since we lived in Southwest Florida and got hit really hard. We were on the Oasis of the season. It was the best ever for me. Anyway, Joe, not so much. From getting a little seasick the first and last night to being an introvert surrounded by many people that it was a little rough on him. But being the great husband that he is, he said he would give it another shot. It probably helped that we watched the cruise channel in the stateroom. Little does he know that that was the day I was hoping to get on to the next cruise office, whatever works, right? We chose a smaller ship for way less money and used the onboard credit they were offering to reduce the price of the cruise. Fast forward to October 2018 on Adventure of the Seas, and I'm happy to say that he loved it. Less people, and he didn't get sick at all, but I have to say that I got spoiled by the Oasis-class ship. I have the stomach of someone who has a really strong stomach and was only seasick, uh, and I was only seasick every time I went to the main dining room. Not fun. But we both agreed to take a break from cruising, but now I'm getting the cruise itch and want to go back to the Caribbean. So my question is, what are the best ports for adventure like hiking? The only way I can have a chance that Joe will go on another Caribbean cruise is if we go for a hike as an excursion, book through the ship at every port or close to it. Did I mention beaches are out of the question? I'm waving goodbye to my money just thinking about it. By the way, this won't be for a bit because we're planning a cruise to Alaska in 2021 first. I'm just trying to think ahead so I can YOLO book it. I don't even think he knows what that means. Uh, first of all, love the email. Thank you. So I would probably say the itinerary that would work for you would be a cruise out of San Juan, Puerto Rico to the Southern Caribbean. Uh, number one, it is very port intensive. There's only one sea day. So you, and the distance between ports is very short. So the likelihood again of, of you know, rough seas or things of that nature is lessened if you ask me. And you're not, you're not relying on sea days, things on the ship. You're spending a lot more time on land. So I think that might be a really good place to start with. I think that, that might be a, a good idea. I'm actually doing that, that exact itinerary coming up uh, in the end of this year, going on Freedom of the Seas to the ABC Islands in Labadee. So we'll have some more content about that here on the podcast and on RoyalCoreanBlog.com. Thank you to Billy for the email. Thank you to everybody for listening to this episode of the podcast. And of course, you can always send me your emails by sending them to Matt, M-A-T-T, at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. So until next time, I'm Matt Hotchberg, and we'll talk again soon. <laughs>